I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Fucking shit, isn't he? He's fucking shit, mate. The thing about it is that he's shit. Blood, he's fucking shit. It's Sunday, which means it's time for the front three with me, Adam Bolt, with the one and only Lawrence McKenna. It's good Sundays. Statman Davis here, as always, as well. Hello, hello, hello. As is Chris Hennage. Evening. We are going to be reviewing all of the Premier League action, as always, on a Sunday. We're also going to be looking at some of the key European fixtures around the continent. And we're also going to finish up by talking about the England squad, which just has been announced uh, for the upcoming international break. But there's only one place to start, Dave, and that is the North London Derby, an exciting game, finishing Arsenal 1, Tottenham 1 at the Emirates Stadium. Plenty of chances for both sides. Harry Kane was back for Spurs, but key players like Ali, uh, Ali, Ali, Alderweireld and Lamella were all missing, meaning Pochettino opted for an unfamiliar 3-5-2 uh, formation, and it worked pretty well, didn't it, Dave? Yeah, I think it did. It worked really well. It gave um, Spurs the extra man at the back and they completely just played out of Arsenal's press. You know, the first 30 minutes, you'd say Spurs dominated the game. I don't think it's so unfamiliar. I think Spurs have played this system before, the 3-5-2. I don't think this is the first time, but it was quite funny to watch BT Sport and Rio Ferdinand, uh, Harry Redknapp and I think Ian Wright just to be like flabbergasted. Oh, they've never played this before. It's going to be rubbish. They need to know what they're doing. But Pochettino is a manager that plans. Pochettino is a manager that you'll know your role as a player down to a T. And I do think, uh, you know, Spurs did very well, but they didn't, in that dominance, they didn't create enough chances. You know, Ericsson drifted well wide and created a few chances from wide areas and across into the box. But Son's movement wasn't good enough for me. Playing off Harry Kane, he should have been moving a lot more to the left, to the right. They were trying to hit diagonals to him quite a lot, but he wasn't getting himself into the space. You know, the one time that he did break the Koscielny tackle, big, big chance and, you know, Arsenal defended it. But then Arsenal kind of switched it and they they realised that playing a back three, all you do is you, a counter-attack and you switch it from one side to the other. You have a man over. A brilliant chance for Iwobi when it was nil-nil. Should have put the ball in the back of the net, but he didn't. Um, and then obviously the, the free kick um, that Arsenal scored. The offside, you know, again, the law the offside law needs to be revisited because it's, it's too in and out at the moment. You know, you go to that, the fr- you freeze frame it when the ball's played in. Obviously, Wimmer's going to have a look over his, you know, look over his shoulder. Or he would have done before the move and seen two players behind him. He has to go for that ball, but in fact, the players behind him aren't actually offside because apparently Sanchez isn't making a play towards the ball. He's not interfering in place. So it's one of those things that needs to be rolled out because it's confusing for both the fan, both for the manager, and of course for the pundit. Uh, but then I think Spurs did quite well to get back into the game. Harry Kane 
scoring from the penalty spot. He's got now scored five uh, of Tottenham's last six goals against Arsenal, so he's absolutely crucial in the game. But I think it was a fair result, one all. Hmm. Yeah, I think a draw was a fair result. I think you have to say, Chris, um, as Dave sort of points there, Harry Kane come back, obviously a huge boost for Spurs. And you have to say, despite it being a fourth straight league draw, it was a better result for Pochino than Wenger. Um, Tottenham obviously maintaining their unbeaten start. And Arsenal missing the opportunity to go top, having created a number of good chances, as Dave said, and in some ways failing to press that home advantage. November's a funny month for Arsenal as well, though. They they have tended to to struggle. Um, and I think because of that, any result that's not a win looks a little bit worse than it is. I don't agree with... Uh, sorry, I don't disagree with your your evaluation and the, the question there. I think, ultimately, though, it's it's an instance where it's so difficult because we, we almost tried to pluck grand ideas from single instances. So... Just last week, we were talking about how brilliant Ozil was against Ludogorets. And now I see people on the flip side of that saying, well, this is clearly why he's not world-class, because he doesn't influence a game like this. It feels harsh and wrong to do that. I think that there needs to be more from the Arsenal players at this point. Uh, I think, yeah, Tottenham, Tottenham could have been better. I th- honestly think their bigger issue right now is, is integrating Janssen. I think he looks a little bit awkward when he plays. Um, and... With Kane returning, there's going to be less minutes for him in theory as a consequence of that. So how do you then get him to work and get him to understand his teammates? I think Kane coming back, obviously. I mean, Spurs looked far better. They looked more more fluent going forward with him as the focal point. But I think Janssen works. I think he kind of works as a sub. You know, he comes on, he holds up the ball well when players are getting tired. He, he plays in those around him. And he had he had one chance, uh, maybe two chances towards the end um, where he could have perhaps done better by the confidences though. But I think, you know, as I said to you on Twitter, Chris, I think he works as an impact sub. He works as potentially a plan B. Whether he's a starter ahead of Harry Kane, I don't think we're going to see that very often. Um but I think a good result for Spurs in the end, considering the, the, the form uh, we went into the game in um, and obviously the disappointment of Wednesday night in the Champions League, that defeat to Leverkusen. I think Carl Walker and especially Dan, Danny Rose were exceptional, um, sort of as the wing-backs. Moussa Dembele as well, you know, he's been below par this season, uh, but he looked to have found his rhythm today. So I think it's fair to say that uh, for Spurs it was a better result than Arsenal um, and they maintained that unbeaten league start, which of course is crucial. Um, elsewhere today, they have a big game, a big result, Lawrence, for Liverpool, hammering Watford 6-1 uh, to go clop of the table, uh, if you catch me. Oh, good. For the yeah. first time. You haven't seen oh, that anywhere Jesus, else. Oh, didn't do that. Sorry, guys. I apologise. It was terrible. Um, but they, they, they go top of the table for the first time under Jurgen Klopp, Lawrence. Again, an incredible attacking performance, and it's the fifth time this season Liverpool have scored four or more goals in the league. First time they go top under Klopp, and for some weird reason, uh, someone tweeted out it's the first time in 900, I think, and 16 days that they've been top of the table. Wow. Taking them a while to get back to that position, but um, it was an interesting game. Uh, I think it's not, obviously it was, it wasn't, I actually don't think it was Liverpool at their best. I think Klopp raises the point post-match that actually they still have a lot to do, that they face a side who uh, Liverpool knew how to exploit, but also knew how to exploit Liverpool, which I think is more worrying for Liverpool. Had what they've been better at putting away their chances, it probably could have been 6-3 or 6-4. Um, and, you know, there's sort of nebulous statistics like Liverpool haven't kept a clean sheet, etc., etc. Um I mean, if you're going to score six, it's probably a bit of a ridiculous statistic for around, isn't it? But it still shows the how potent 
Liverpool's front line is and how uh, dangerous those guys are. I'm, I'm still impressed with the movement. I'm still impressed with the way that they all work together. And even when Sturridge comes on or uh, and someone else fits into that combination, the other players seem to know what to do to um, work around them. And it is reminiscent of that old Klopp side where they sort of seem to understand each other uh, a little bit better. I, I, I'm, I'm honestly as a Liverpool fan. I'm really enjoying watching it, but it's still doesn't fill me with confidence i don't think it's a it's a long-lasting um tactic if it continues like this and i think Klopp's right it, it does have to improve because they won't win the league if they continue playing games like that are you starting to dream of that first premier league title Lawrence, not seemed... really no really no Do no you... I, d- I, d- I still think uh, there's a long way to go that, that it's very easy to get lulled into a false sense of security looking at those runs run of games when you're going to play teams who are going to be pretty desperate for points. Also, Liverpool will become somewhat of a head to take, I think, in the league because they're one of they're going to be one of the form teams. that will not work against Liverpool, but I think it's very easy to sort of spin them either way. And at the same time, I think they've still got a number of players in there who have got mistakes in them. I think in the past it's been those mistakes that have let Liverpool down. The only thing that seems to be saving Liverpool right now is they are outscoring vastly outscoring their <laughs> opponents. Um, they have as well. They have beaten. Uh, Arsenal away, Chelsea away, um, and, and got a point at White High Lane as well. So there but the is point that is that they've not they've not been. Fake. I mean, I understand that you know you can only play teams when you're supposed to play them, so you only play them as part of fixture list. So mm. you know, whatever they they get those results. And I understand you know the nature of the way that the league works. That's the whole point for schedule and those sort of things. And Klopp will have looked at that and assessed it. Um, and you know, it does it does also bear bear saying. They've only they've not got Europe, you know. They've only got the cup competitions, and they can sort of rotate in and out on that. Mm. And not only, I think the the good thing is, and I think this is the, the more positive thing to Liverpool right now. It's not just one player that Liverpool are sort of looking at right now. There's a number of players in there that are achieving that. You know, Emery Chan got the header today, finished a move. Uh, Mane, Coutinho, Firmino. Even when Sturridge came on, I think he hit the Woodbert twice, maybe even three times. So it could have been a lot more, but that's not really my point. My point is when they play a, a better side that's the real litmus test for Liverpool um, hmm. yeah that's the difference I mean uh, Lawrence points to a number of players performing there Chris goals throughout the team of course performances throughout the team but arguably the man of the match Philippe Coutinho so central to Liverpool's play he's got three goals and five assists in his last seven league appearances he is so important for Jurgen's club side isn't he he is and I saw an interview with him and Firmino they did together um, I think this week, or at least that's when, when I saw it. And you can just see there's an understanding between the two of them and an appreciation for what one offers the other. And it's difficult to, to look past him at the minute and there's talk about a new contract, Real Madrid, all that stuff. I think he just needs that consistency. That's all he needs. People talking, uh, as Chris mentions there, Lawrence, people talking about a move for Coutinho already, long been linked to a move to, to Real Madrid, to Barcelona. Um do you think with his form, like with Suarez, like with Barry, you know, when these key Premier League players perform so well, do you, do you, is in the back of your mind, is there that danger that you could lose such an important player? Or are you just high on the on the current success? Uh, I mean, is it one or the other? Do I have to pick one or the other? Or can I sort of add some context to both those thoughts? No, please do. Um, so obviously, you know, Liverpool fans are high on this right now. And that sort of gives them the bombastic idea that, hey, we can keep players if we just, you know, if we continue like this. And I, I don't think, I think, with Klopp comes a wealth of experience of trying to keep players and learning to lose those guys. And also, that I think that's why Klopp was stressing so much at the beginning. 
you know, that there is no one that's supposed to be central to this. Um, obviously, that's sort of num- it's numbing a pain rather than sort of getting rid of the pain itself of actually losing the player. Um, I think Liverpool probably do all they can to try and keep Coutinho if someone like Real Madrid, uh, Barcelona came knocking because I think he's a very marketable asset in the, the big emerging markets because A, he's Brazilian. B, he's quite an attractive player to watch. Um, and C, I, I also think he sort of fits the clock model very nicely. Uh, so, so he ticks all the boxes, essentially. It's not like they're trying to fit a square peg into a round hole. Um, and at the age he is, I think Liverpool will, will, will try and pull out all the stops instead of losing someone like that. I would love to know what price someone like... I mean, I wouldn't love to know. I wouldn't even love to read it. But, you know, it would be interesting to see what price someone like Barcelona would offer. Um, and also, I think million, it would be... upwards of 50 Someone million. said 54. Um, you know, I mean, considering some of the prices have been banded around for other players and how ridiculously um, some of those other guys have had to uh, up their, their prices, I think Liverpool would be well advised to hold out for more, to be honest, because I think he's a very marketable mm. asset. And, you know, you can talk about, you know, realistic or unrealistic markets... I'm only saying that because I don't think it's a realistic market. I also think uh, Coutinho uh, understands the obscurity from which he was plucked by Liverpool uh, because I think there were feelings that maybe he had sort of you know, things things wouldn't get much better for him. You know, he'd gone through a very difficult time at Inter Milan, uh, sort of falling out of favour and those sort of things. And Liverpool sort of revived him. Uh, and I know this, you know, it wasn't similar with Suarez, but you could sort of follow a similar line in that sense that Liverpool wanted to take him to the next level. And it was sort of like, well, we'll take you to the next level and you'll stick around and then, oh, you're gone. Mm. Um, I, I just wonder what his, you know, he really seems to have gelled with someone like Klopp because Klopp has soul. And I think Coutinho is a similar player. So I think you'd always hope from a fan's perspective, even if it's not a realistic one, that he would stick around because he's enjoying his football and doesn't want that to end. Not only that, but they've got, you know, another Brazilian that he gels very well with, and that's mm. definitely going to serve him in trying to get into things like the Brazil squad and become a more influential player there as well. Signed for 8.5 million almost four years ago now, depending on what Liverpool achieved this season, be it the league, be it Europe, I think, you know, he could go down as one of the all-time great Premier League bargains, of course. Um, but Liverpool are top of the table on 26 points. Back in sixth, Dave, are Manchester United. They ended a run of four Premier League games without a win against Swansea, a 3-1 win uh, at the Liberty Stadium. And it was a dominant performance, wasn't it, Dave? Yeah, you'd say so. It was a, a good end to a poor week for Manchester United. But I think Mourinho potentially could have stumbled on a system that really works for some of these players. So United, uh, the team sheet came out and it was, United could have played a number of systems. They could have played a 4-4-2 with Pogba out left, Rooney with Zlatan. Could have been a 4-2-3-1 with uh, Young left wing, Carrick potentially at centre-back. But in fact, it was a 4-3-2-1 with Wayne Rooney and Juan Mata playing behind Zlatan Ibrahimovic. Not playing out wide, not stretching the pitch horizontally, but getting into the space. It was sort of like United were playing with two number 10s. Similar to like what Argentina used to do back in the day with Diego Maradona. He used to be the playmaker. They'd have a second striker and then a, um, a target man or a central striker to play off. And that's what they were doing. Zlatan was coming to the ball and then Mata Rooney were trying to get in behind or they were attacking the space. And the, the fluidity of that front three worked really well. It's something that could be Wayne Rooney's future in a way. You know, He's played centrally. He's played in number 10. He's played in central midfield. But he started playing left midfield for United when United were really, really dominant in the, in the Premier League and in Europe. So potentially going back there, he understands his defensive work, but also he understands the 10 space and he understands where he can attack that and how he can push defences. But consequently, it frees up space for the likes of Paul Pogba, who also suit playing central midfield, but playing it a little bit wider. So with this two in the middle, Pogba can go out wider and he can create chances from, from the left wing. But 
overall, United were a lot better than they have been, and Zlatan took both his chances. Then United won the game. It's simple stuff, football. Mm. <laughs> interesting, uh, as Dave says. Not that, that, right? <laughs> interesting there, though. That um, uh, Dave's talking about all those 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 parts functioning. Krishna Ibrahimovic back on the score sheet with two. Uh, that Pogba goal, of course, and Wayne Rooney arguably being the man of the match to assist after what's been a difficult period for him. But also Michael Carrick was crucial to this one. His passing is just wonderful. I'm not telling you anything new when I say that. But if you just look at his his kind of chalkboard, there's so few errors in there, and yet so many of his passes are forward. And, you know, it's funny. Someone did actually say when I I tweeted that out that he is uh, crap. And I was like, find me a midfielder that can do that. And I mean, ironically, it it was a Sunderland fan. And I was like, well, you know, get Jack Rodwell to do that then every week and you'll not have a problem. But... He is. He's someone that is lovely banter. Well, the thing is, it, it for some people it looks like he's just passing the ball on to other people, but he's not. He's he's actually keeping them ticking over. He's picking clever spots. He's a very intelligent midfielder, and I think when he was younger, when he was at Spurs, yeah, he was a little bit more box to box. He maybe did things on both sides of the ball, whereas now he is working best just sitting there and spraying the ball around. And it does. It takes a lot of. I would say not just composure, but also intelligence on the ball and then technical quality to actually achieve what your mind intends to do. So for me, I just think for all the talk of the midfield and Pogba and everything, there's just a a little lack of appreciation for what's around him and what could benefit him in terms of the teammates that are chosen to play alongside him. I I think someone like Harry could be great for him. I I agree. Can I also sort of add to that point that I do, I still worry a little bit for United um, because in years gone by, I think it made sense that Sir Alex had made a system or had got players in there that he knew he could rely on. I don't feel like there's very many people in roles that they feel they can rely on right now. And at the same time, to, to add to that, I think the Pogba strike is fantastic. It's a really great goal. You know, and you know the same goes for Zlatan and him scoring too. You know, he's getting in the right positions, and I think that's it's almost better to congratulate the Zlatan goals than it is the Pogba goals in this one, because the Zlatan goals come from the work that the team is putting in. The Pogba goal comes from work the Pogba's putting in. See, a counterpoint to that is the reason the consequent the reason why um, the the drop ball drops the Pogba. One is his starting position. He's drifted to the left wing. He's in a natural position that he likes to play from. But the big thing is the Wayne Rooney run. It takes the defence back. And that's something that Wayne Rooney constantly did was push the defence back. And it was in all the goals. You see Wayne Rooney make a forward run um, or Wayne Rooney play off a a knockdown for the third one. But you go back to that goal. So the ball comes into Rooney. He flicks it back. The defence moves back and it opens up the space outside the area for Pogba just to stroll in there and hit it on the the volley or the half volley. It's not really a counterpoint. That's sort of adding to my point. Because my point would be that it it basically, you know, not every player can strike a ball in the way that Pogba can strike a ball. So it's sort of the, there's individual brilliance there with Pogba, but there's also team brilliance there, which have sort of built towards the Latin goal. But my point would be you're you're more likely to get the Latin goals than you are to get the Pogba goals. Um, and and so that that's almost where people should be congratulating United more right now because and I think also you know it was very interesting to see Zlatan's interview afterwards he he sort of in a very basic way just sort of said you know look we we I knew that if I kept on getting into this position then a goal will come or two in this case good luck with that hair Adam so you know I th- I think it's it's just worth saying and especially with this side it's all well and good doing that analysis but. Th- th- 
the consistency and the delivery of the system and the delivery of, I don't know, whatever you want to call it, this United way under Mourinho, it's just as important to have those carrot guys as it is to have these new big signings. And I think people don't lord those other, you know, United, but United basic players enough anymore. Whereas in the past, I think they focused on them. I'd like to point out that Zlatan only has six league goals so far. Yeah. Right. Mate, he's got. He's got. Uh, I'd also like to point out he's got fucking ages to score the rest. I'd also like to point out it was Swansea, yeah. Chris. Bob Bradley's only got one point from his first four matches. Uh, the winless run now goes back to the opening day uh, of the season. Um, level with points on, with Sunderland. Timing is a funny thing in football, and I think this is a bad time to manage a Swansea side. Because. If if you go back to when they came into the Premier League and the first few years after, they were known for being so diligent, so well-prepared, so well-managed. And yet now, that's simply not the case. And from talking to people with a, a better knowledge of it than myself, it seems as if a lot of the recruitment staff have been ignored and that actually the the higher-ups have been pushing through transfers. People like Van der Horn, I appreciate that he scored a goal today and that will be a positive. But people like him shouldn't be replacing Ashley Williams. It's it sounds perhaps harsh and naive to harp on one issue. You look at that squad and you see some of the players in there and you don't see enough quality. The midfield is is relatively okay. I'm still surprised people in the Premier League keep buying Leroy Fur personally, because he just seems to get relegated time and time again. Happened with QPR, happened with Norwich, now potentially looks like happening with Swansea. You then go forward. And then you look at the attack that, that there is to work with. And Borja Baston is completely untested in this league, which is not to say he's a bad player, as much to say that's a really big risk to take on a forward that's just coming into the league. You've then got Lorente again, who hasn't really had time to come in, maybe isn't in the peak of his career, if anything, is sliding down that mountain, so to speak. It's just a series of bad decisions that I can't fully understand or fully grasp. Because, like I say, it's so it's so polar opposite to what we've come to associate with Swansea that while I'm certainly not absolving Bob Bradley from blame, because I think there are some decisions that he made today that weren't great. Sitting so deep didn't seem the smartest idea to me. That was a little bit of fear, I think, in him that shouldn't have really come forth into the team selection. There are also a lot of problems at that club that make me think, "Eh, this is not really a club that I would want to be managing personally. I mean, that's an interesting yeah, one, isn't it? Because of the squad, I should say. It, but as Chris says, you know, we've, we've talked about Swansea for a number of years of being such a well-run uh, well run club. Brendan Rodgers in there first, then Martinez. And, and after Gary Monk left, it seems to have sort of fallen apart a little bit with the new owners. I mean, what do you make of that situation? Um, I mean, uh, yeah, I, I do think when people try and put their mark on a club, then that obviously changes things. I also think they sort of ran out of options towards the end. You know, it's all well and good having a number of managers that think in a certain way. I also think that they thought with those, those disciples of that way of football. uh, Those disciples with that style of football worked very well at that time, but it's arguable that football has moved forward and they've not appointed to keep up with that. So it was very, it was almost perfect at that time to play that kind of football with that. Um, So now that they've not moved forward with it, they've almost had to go back to basics. And I'm not saying Bob Bradley's basic, but Bob Bradley certain isn't, certainly isn't in that um, school of managers who yeah. believe in 
you know, the, the, you know, the Pochettino way, the Klopp way, or the trendy way of football at the moment. So you'd call it returning to something that most people know much better, which is not, it's a reductionist, whatever it is, Bob Bradley. But yeah, the, the point is that they've, they've sort of had to return back to uh, zero with the club. And very often in the Premier League, when you return back to that zero, that means relegation. Um, and sadly, that, that might be true this season, even though, you know, Bob Bradley is a very well-rated coach, etc., etc. So Swansea joint bottom of the table then with Sunderland. Just two points above the relegation, though, are Leicester after losing 2-1 at home to West Brom. A Danny Drinkwater mistake costing Leicester, ultimately. It's their first defeat at home since September 2015, Chris, uh, after a run of 20 mm. games unbeaten uh, at the King Power Stadium. Uh, Gary Lineker tweeted out earlier that his, this side could be uh, the first one to win the league and get relegated in the next season. Might be a little too early for that sort of panic, but still... Things, again, are not going well for Leicester at the moment. Game of fine margins at the best of time. And I think uh, when you're playing against a team that is so organised and drilled as West Brom, that increases. Um, This Leicester team in general, for me, is one that's been found out in a lot of ways. I think think that's best represented by Mahrez. So I always like to see if numbers actually back up what I'm seeing or what I think I'm seeing on the pitch. And his his take on numbers were decent. I think he got like six of nine, which is fairly respectable. Um, yet there was a few instances where he squared up either Alan Neom uh, or the other fullback, and you could tell he wanted to go onto his strong foot, which is, I think, his left. So he wanted to go inside all the time. Um, and it's little nuances like that that have made Leicester a much easier proposition to play against because on the other wing, they've got Ahmed Musa, who for what he beats Mahrez in speed, he loses to in technical skill. So he's, he's a very simple player in that sense that if you can kind of get him close enough to the byline, it's going to be very difficult for him to get past you and then get across in on top of that. And you throw Vardy in the mix there who I know he got absolute pelters for saying, this Michael Owen that he thought he was lucky last season I don't necessarily disagree with the sentiment of it I think it was form not class from Vardy mm. um, you're going to now on Twitter you, you realise that yeah? well the, the reason I say this and I'll try and explain it in a little bit more detail than Owen did I've Good said on, on, on here before that when I spoke to people at Stocksbridge they said his game hadn't changed from, from when he was there and that game is a very simplistic way of playing it's to sit on the shoulder, exploit the space that's left him behind. That space isn't there anymore because teams are not coming out as readily to to play against Leicester because they know that they've now got a lot better players than perhaps people thought 13, 14 months ago. So that's changing the opportunities that he's trying to get. And it means you've got to be much smarter. You've got to be able to use what little space you have around you very effectively. And the truth is, I don't think Vardy can really do that. He wasn't raised in an academy where he was taught those kind of nuances and those kind of, I would say, advanced techniques. So he is very much a, a simplistic striker that had a, a good patch of form. It's it's almost an extended version of what Amezaki did a few years ago for Wigan. In, in my eyes, it's someone that came at a good time, was in a good team, and everything kind of fit together for him. I mean, Lawrence, what do you make of the the fact that their Champions League exertions are being pointed to as a problem, as well as some of the issues that, that Chris has pointed out? Uh, I mean, I... I can kind of see, I see what they're saying, but at the same time, uh, they're also getting results uh, elsewhere. So I think it's more a tactical thing uh, in the Premier League. 
and uh, maybe also a confidence thing maybe also a priority thing maybe also a mentality thing i think all those things are probably going to end up applying with leicester um i also just it's sort of a case of look they've done it and they know that they're not going to be able to do it again i think you know inertia and confidence sort of ends up draining away at that point um so i'll be interested to see what whether it sort of continues in the Champions League like this. I mean, Dave sort of put the point that, you know, they, they will be able to go out in Europe and tactically outthink people, but maybe not so much in the Premier League. So I'll be interested to see um, how he looks to solve it. We asked the question earlier on Twitter, didn't we? What would you do to solve Leicester City? No one came back with a good answer. <laughs> how do you solve a problem like Leicester City? How do you um, solve a problem like City? Well, Lawrence, I think Mares. Moving inside to number 10 could be a good option um, and then putting the space, the pace around him. But I think you need that level of work. And I think it's something that Leicester City haven't done well enough with these new players that have come in. They don't work as hard as the Leicester City players that worked last season. The likes of Musa doesn't track back. The likes of um, maybe uh, you'd say the new central midfielder, his name, I can't think of his name, isn't covering as much ground as Kante and Drinkwater's having to do um, more than just his role. You know, last season, Drinkwater and, and Kante, it was a great relationship between two players and they almost covered the third position in a way of, you know, they had the playmaker, the destroyer and the passer in there as, of two players. And now Drinkwater's having to do two of those roles and maybe isn't getting up to that same level. But I think if you move well, Mahrez inside... Andy King, isn't it, you're talking about there in that sense? Not Andy King, it's Daniel Admarty, is it? Uh, the other lad uh, that plays next to him at the moment. But yeah, I think throwing Mahrez inside and giving Mahrez the licence to just drift around and operate, it would open up a lot more avenues for him. Because again, like Chris saying, it's a little bit easy to play against him now. We know he's a left-footed player and we know he does like to come onto his, onto his stronger foot from the right-hand side. So if you give him more freedom, maybe the, the, the rest of the side will have more freedom and consequently, the change of shape may work. Dave, what just, do you just think? a note, Am- Amati didn't play uh, today, but I mean... He didn't play today, but I think it, the last time I saw him, he played. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, was Andy, it was Andy King today. Again, Andy King's the same sort of player. Yeah, exactly, you know. yeah. Dave, what do you but, make of the, um, the the problems they've got in central defence? Because, as Lauren says, we did tweet that out earlier, you know, how would you solve a problem like Leicester City? And a lot of people writing in, <laughs> replace Hoof, buy a new centre-back. That does seem to be an area of weakness for them this season, having been such a strength when they won the title last year. I'd say so because, again, going back to the, the first point that Chris sort of made in terms of they figured that people have figured Leicester City out. They kind of figured them out maybe February last year and teams started to sit deeper and deeper against Leicester. But Leicester just sort of nicked that, still had that ability to nick that first goal from a set piece from whatever. But as teams are more aware, as people take note of Leicester City, they sit deeper, which means the likes of Hooth and Wes Morgan aren't defending on their penalty area anymore. They're defending on the halfway line. And you don't want Wes Morgan or or Huth defending on the halfway line because you, there's so much space to expose them. You pull them wide, you can get behind them, you can knock the ball over the top. You know, you're playing against their weaknesses. The reason why Leicester was so good last season was because they were a, Leicester City enabled their players to play to their strengths, like Wes Morgan, like Robert Huth, though, defending the penalty area, like Danny Simpson, like Christian Fuchs. That is a pretty poor back four if you think about mm. if you're playing on the halfway line. Uh, you can expose that. Mufasa wrote in saying, uh, bring back the man, Kante. Easier said than done. But Preston has a more uh, a more constructive uh, suggestion. He says, bring in Corentin Toliso from Lyon to, to oh, diversify yeah. the midfield and a young centre-back to replace Huth, um, like many other people are saying, Orban from Red Bull Leipzig would be good. Uh, do you agree with that briefly, Dave? Yeah, you know, two, two pretty decent players, I'd have to say. But yeah, I think they need two centre-backs, maybe not one. Mm. Um, but kind of that's the problem. You know, you go on to win the Premier League, Teams will slowly figure you out, and they didn't deal with it well enough in the in the market. I don't think. I don't think. I think they lost their 
biggest one of their biggest cogs and they didn't really replace that big cog with an advancement they kind of bought a few players they spent yes. a lot of money but there's no key cog that's been put back into that side that you'd be like shit that guy is the shit it's also that sense of timing isn't it i mean i think chris was right earlier talking about timing which just worked really well for leicester with timing last season that they they bought in the manager at the right time and wanted to play a system which exploited what was going on works Finally, in the Premier League uh, today, we had Hull with a massive win, a 2-1 win at home over Southampton, uh, coming back from one goal down to secure Mike Phelan's first win since he was appointed as permanent manager. Uh, they lost Will Keane and Abel Hernandez to injury in the first half, but Robert Snodgrass came on as a substitute, uh, having missed the last two games with an ankle injury and inspired him to victory. He got that one goal, and then I think two minutes later, he set up Michael Dawson uh, for the winner. He's actually contributed to 50% of their 10 goals this season so it's proving very vital for them and ended what would have been a record-breaking run potentially seven wins in a row that would have been in the league um but as for Southampton uh, Chris a famous win over Inter Milan in the week you'd have expected them to potentially uh, secure the three points against the struggling Tigers but they pay for their wastefulness in front of goal today um and after you know a good spell under Claude Poel it's now three games without a win in the Premier League yeah I think we see this a lot though with mid-table teams that get into Europe. There's, there's inevitably a drop-off when they compete there for a season because there's it's a lot of travel, it's a lot of demands, it's a lot of exertion, and you've got to try and maybe rotate. And rotate brings potential weakness into the team. I think they'll be frustrated, but I don't think they'll be too disheartened. Like I say, like you said, they yourself they got the big win against in the Milan midweek. That's another kind of statement for them. And I think you can move forward in positive ways um, that are not the league table. So if they do well in the Europa League, that will likely help them, I think, with signing better players moving forward, which should in turn help them then move up the table. So I'm sure no one's delighted that they're on this this little mini run of, of bad results. But even saying that, it's a mini run. So I don't think it's anything to be horrendously concerned about right now. Mm. Right, that is Sunday's Premier League results reviewed. Let's move on to some of the key fixtures around Europe in part two. Right, first off, Dave, let's go to the Bundesliga, which, as we said last week, is shaping up very nicely indeed. Just six points separating the top seven, so very competitive at the moment. The pick of the weekend games, of course, was Bayern Munich versus Hoffenheim, two of the unbeaten sides this season. How did it play out? That was a very, very good game of football. A contrasting styles. Um, Ancelotti's uh, sort of four five one, four three three versus uh, Nagelsmann's three five two. But he didn't play it as a three five two against Bayern. He was quite smart. He played it more of a five three two. So there was a distinct back five. But the energy that this team shows is absolutely incredible. The work rate of the wing backs, the central midfielders, the strikers. It's just all together. It's a it's a unit that knows what they're doing and is is tactically very, very aware to you know nuances in the game you know if you're going to come up against a three-man midfield do this three at the back do this and it just seems that they've they've hit some some gold here with their coach and again put in a really good result and arguably should have won the game the goal was quite fortuitous that Bayern Munich scored you know a wide cross that unfortunately was turned into their their own goal but the the Hoffenheim goal the Hoffenheim goal was really really good a well-worked move you know playing out of a Bayern Munich press playing a very direct ball through breaking the two, breaking two lines I think broke their midfield broke the the defensive line, and then a lovely pullback and a brilliant finish from the uh, German midfielder. I think it's uh, De Maybe who we mentioned before. But nice. no, it's a very good performance for uh, Hoffenheim, and again, unbeaten in the Bundesliga this season. Mm. One of only five teams in Europe, in fact. 
You I said Hoffelheim again. Is this like some bizarre thing that you do? This is like his Twitch. Is this an in-joke that I've missed or uh, something? No, no. <laughs> the, uh, if you talk about um, uh, one of those unbeaten teams, one of them is Rebel Leipzig, who are after Bayern Munich's one or draw with Hoffenheim and now joint top. Um, goals from your lookalike, Timo Werner, uh, and also Emil <laughs> Forsberg, meaning they remain unbeaten as well. Um, and it's been uh, just such an incredible start for them, having been promoted uh, this season. I think so, yeah, but their, their style, we've already spoke about how their style is so combative and it's it's getting results. Um, you know, Timo Werner has been one of the standout players of the Bundesliga this season and again getting on the score sheet with two pretty decent goals, but it's how they break and how they attack with such speed and width and, and everything. Uh, Feuchberg as well, the, the left winger, is just the... Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Uh, he's a breath of fresh air. He's a very creative forward and... It just works so well with their system, and it is the, the sort of Red Bull style. It, it looks exactly like the Red Bull Salzburg team um, that we saw a few seasons ago with uh, Sadio Mane and uh, Kevin Campbell. And it's just, I think this Le Leipzig team, they, they, it looks like they are really going to push on, and they're definitely going to hit Europe. It's just performance after a performance. They keep putting in these high-pressing, high-tempo performances that win games of football, puts teams under such pressure that they just can't deal with it. And they absolutely collapse like Mainz did. Obviously, Mainz did play away in the... Europa League and, and picked up a defeat there but still the tempo and the style and the pressing everything was there for Leipzig again today and the forward line was you know perfect Are you not thinking about sticking a fiver on them winning the league you know a Leicester style win on the cards? Ah, I don't I think Bayern Munich have got a little bit too much with their, their front three and I think I think Dortmund again oh, are going to come back I think Dortmund uh, you know Hamburg got absolutely destroyed Hamburg are a team that have been rocking up and down the Bundesliga table for so many years, and they've just been so poor in the last few seasons, you know, battling relegation. The two centre-backs, I think it's Kleber and um, Giroud that used to be at Arsenal, absolutely poor. And Abemiang just ripped them apart, scored four goals, got an assist, was directly involved in every single one of the goals. But, you know, his work after, after the incident that we didn't, we, you know, we can't speak about on Wednesday night um, has come back to form. Remember uh, he was trying to get a move to an AC Milan, I think it was? Was he now? Yeah, yeah, he was in Milan, wasn't he? Oh, because he went he, partying, didn't he? Uh, I bet. Yeah, he, he broke the rules. So he did. Thomas Tufel likes his players back in Germany 24 hours before the game, and apparently Bemiang was out in Milan with his pals because obviously he went, came through the academy there. Oh, that's nice. Always a good idea to go out with your pals, isn't it? Just uh, it always ends well. Manager. It always yeah. ends well. Um, as you say, Dave, uh, you know, a uh, good win for them, winning 5-2. It's actually their first win in five league games. Um, so it closes the gap at the top with Bayern dropping uh, points to six points overall. And as we say, shaping up very nicely indeed in the Bundesliga. Um, how about we go to Italy next? Uh, Napoli-Lazio. Not literally. The pick, nice. The pick of the weekend's games, Dave, Napoli-Lazio. 
it was just an interesting game. It was an interesting game of uh, two managers, Simeone and Zaghi, uh, versus obviously Sari. And, um, you know, Napoli did so well last season to compete, but without Gonzalo Higuain and, you know, Milik going out with a, a long term injury, they, they really like firepower up top. Um, but it was an impressive display from Napoli. They did dominate Lazio. Grabbed a pretty fortuitous goal. Uh, Pepe Arena getting beat at his near post. Something that, you know, has hampered his career in a way, or especially the end of his Liverpool career. That was an obvious weakness and probably should have saved uh, Keita's shot. But no, I think in terms of um, Mario Hamzik, very, very impressive display. And again, how has he been at Napoli for so long? How have someone like Barcelona, Real Madrid, Bayern Munich not picked him up? Because he's such a talented player. You see his goal is absolutely fantastic. But when Napoli were really turning the screw, Hamzik was involved in everything. His ability to spread the ball long to short to mix the tempo up—it's it's incredible. And yeah, he's—I definitely put him up there with a, you know some of the best attacking midfields in world football. Finally, in Europe, let's go to Spain. That's what you say, not literally. Lawrence. Not li- not literally. Nice. Uh, Real Madrid. Illiterato. <laughs> Real Madrid winning three 0 against Leganes to go top of the table. Uh, Gareth Bale scoring two to celebrate his new contract in style. I believe it's three hundred and sixty thousand pounds a week after tax. Is, is, yeah. that, is that right? Yeah. Wow. Hey, it doesn't uh, seem like anyone in, in Spain worries about tax anyway. Until, until <laughs> <I was gonna laughs> say, yeah. it's, uh, it's a decent chunk of money. It is a decent chunk of money, it has to be said. Hey, um, so yeah, just a, just a wink next to that bit of the contract. Yes. After tax. <laughs> after tax. Wink. Yeah. Um, and that's where Starbucks begin to sponsor the team. <laughs> uh, Madrid winning without playing well, though, Dave. That seems to be the story. Um, and good, for, good news for them. Modric and Casemiro returning after the international break. Yeah, I think they've they've lacked they have lacked both of those players in terms of their their style. It's isn't the greatest style. It just seems like Zidane has these players and you know he puts them on the team sheet and they go out, you know, there's nothing there's no tactical ideas of, you know, there's no Pep Guardiola we're, we're playing in between the lines we want to play, we want to break down that way, we want to move you around. Just seems like he has these players and because of the the sheer ability of them, they break teams down. It's more like, you know, you you lads go out today. It's sort of it's a bit like a, an Ancelotti approach. Obviously Ancelotti has taught Zidane a lot when he was, you know, assistant manager there. But I think with Modric coming back, then you've got someone that's gonna sort of start to dictate games, start to spread the ball about, start to move your team up. But also Casemiro, you know, Madrid have been playing without a defensive midfielder for like two months and surprisingly they're top of the league. But when Casemiro comes back, we'll see his influence again of being able to just break the play up and yeah, spread the ball, give it to Modric, give it to Tony Cruz and let them play. So it, it's going to be positive for them. And if they're top of the league now, maybe they'll go on to win it, especially with Atletico dropping points as well this weekend. The other good news coming out of Madrid, of course, is that Cristiano Ronaldo has signed a brand spanking new contract until 2021 when he was Wink. 36 years old. Um, not sure how much he's earned after tax. Um, I'm sure it's comparable with Gareth Bale's, maybe slightly less. I think Bale is um, supposed to be earning more. Um, what do you make what? of this one? Uh, he, I think he is earning more, is he not? Probably. I mean, I'm, I'm only saying. Um, well, is it going to be the, the Luis Figo uh, effect, I think, that we're seeing here uh, with Ronaldo? He wants to be the elder statesman mm. of Real Madrid. Yes. For that reason, maybe... Grey cover of products for your hair. Yeah. Well, uh, sure. Yeah. Uh, I mean, if he if that's what he wants. But it looks um, like you know all this speculation we've heard over uh, over all these previous summers, going back to Manchester United, going to PSG, going to MLS. This hints, you know, obviously contracts are, are not the, uh, the, the 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 most trusted documents. Football. Yeah. But it looks like he may well end his career at Madrid now. Hope so. Yeah. 
That'd be lovely. Uh, yeah, but I mean, even then, it's probably you know that there's there's bits and bobs in there that you, I think you're right. Um, still think though that it's well worth um, the paper it's written on, considering how much money it's worth. Um, and yeah, I look forward to seeing him playing a lot of different Zidane iterations, and then off to PSG. Looks like he is. Um angling for that sort of modeling fashion career after he does indeed stop playing if you've witnessed his instagram account in the past week and if you've any of you guys have seen this lawrence have you seen this yeah of course mate some very interesting pictures um looks like the terminator in one of them cowboy in another um he's in his pants in a few of them i mean you know he's a man of many talents a man of many talents and a man of many crotches yes a man of many crotches that is some of the key fixtures and news uh, rounded up in Europe let's get back to Saturday's Premier League action right so on Saturday the big result was Chelsea winning 5-0 against Everton Dave fireworks off the pitch but fireworks on the pitch as well you might say nice very nice Adam but no I think this Chelsea team is really hitting some form and they are definitely looking like title challengers I think the difference between the Liverpool team that played the played the 3-4-3 under Brendan Rodgers and this Conte system is that this Conte system more looks like a 5-4-1 because defensively they're so sound there's no space in between you know in between the fullback and the wing back there's just he's just killed it he's just absolutely killed it and defensively they look good but then going forward you've got Eden Hazard who is back in form and his link-up play with Diego Costa has been absolutely fantastic in the last few weeks. And obviously Pedro's back on the score sheet. And it's just looking good. It's looking very fresh. And it's it's an approach that the Premier League has never seen. You know, never really seen someone play this system this well. You know, the most clean sheets in the Premier League since moving to the 3-4-3. The, the fewest shots conceded on target. Mm. And the most goals. But the really interesting part is they didn't concede a shot on target against Everton. Against Lukaku and Yannick Balassi. That is impressive. Here's a question for you on Chelsea before we get on to Everton. Um... Obviously, it was an unchanged 11. Obviously, they've been massively impressive. As you said, it's, it's five wins in a row now. Zero goals conceded. In terms of their title challenge, do you think they have the squad depth to go all the way, essentially? I know everyone's making a big uh, point about how they're not competing in Europe. That gives them a certain advantage. But if one of those key players, you know, we're talking about Hazard, we're talking about Costa, all these players seem to fit so well into the system. If they do get an injury, do you think they, 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 they've got the strength and depth to, to sustain this challenge, Dave? I think they do. You know, if you potentially if you lost Eden Hazard, that'd be a massive, massive blow. But you could throw someone like William in there, who has, you know, when he is the focal point of a side, you know, back to Shakhtar Donetsk, let's say, he can turn up. And we we saw last season he was probably Chelsea's best player. Obviously not at the same level, but he could cover for maybe a month, maybe two weeks. But I think if if a big player gets injured, like I think David Luiz is someone that no one's talking about because he's a you know he's this hate figure, he's um, cocky, he kind of shows off. But he's been so crucial to this Chelsea Chelsea backline that he's the one that commands it. He's the one that steps up, and it seems like Conte's given him the responsibility to make sure that he stays in the middle and doesn't doesn't disappear and doesn't mess about on the ball. But he's crucial into that. So if they lose him, that could be quite big. But I think mm. Diego Costa as well could be a bit of a blow if if he goes out. But I think that Chelsea squad is good enough to replace these players. Maybe wing back that could be one because that's quite a specialist position. Yes. So maybe Mikel Alonso goes. Um, he, that could be an issue. In fact, Mikel Alonso, Chelsea are unbeaten when Mikel Alonso started for Chelsea. So he is a big factor and they've not conceded the goal. So if he goes, maybe as well. So there is a few creaks, but I think this Chelsea team and squad has enough to definitely challenge. It is all clicking perfectly. Um, Eden Hazard, of course, an absolutely outstanding performance. It's actually the first time in his career he scored in four consecutive uh, league matches. So he is a man on fire. But as good as Chelsea were, Kristen, Everton 
They weren't too impressive. Um, do you think it was a tactical mistake by Coleman to try and match Chelsea's formation? Yes, and I think Coleman made that point himself, didn't he? That it was wrong to to do that. And you know, in, in fairness to him, I think he even said they they simply outplayed us in every aspect of of the game. So there was a lot of honesty from his end. I, I think I think what you have to remember with this Chelsea side as it's built right now. Um, and, and you know, again, I, I took a lot of pills for saying that against Man United, I didn't think they were consistently as good as uh, many people thought that they just turned it on for minutes. I think games like this prove why I said that because they were flawless almost throughout the entire thing. They were brilliant from start to finish. And the thing is with that front three is that... um, eh, Okay. Um, That front three, it essentially masks everybody's frailties and highlights their strengths. So you have the likes of Hazard and Pedro who can give pace, can give movement, have so much space to run into. But then you've also got the power of Costa that gives them the time to get there and make the most of that space. But then also you don't have Costa trying to to beat a defender from 30, 40 yards out from goal, which he can't really do. He's not the best runner with the ball, I would say. He's not someone who's going to tear away from a defender. So it's a very well put together forward line for me. And I think that's why they look so devastatingly dangerous is because there's such a kind of connection between the, the three and what they offer. Behind that, I think it's very well organized. I think potentially it could get even better if if you got a few better players in inverted commas. I think it could improve even more. It's not to say that it's bad right now. I think it's actually doing really well and it's not conceded a goal, so it's doing exactly what it's supposed to. Um, but I think overall, yeah, it's a very well-balanced system. That's the main thing is that it gives them enough in defence and I think gives them the numbers to make defending a little bit easier on the team. But then also when they need to change, you've got that three four, three in the forward line. You've then got the midfield that, that has quality too. I mean, Dave, you've spoken before about the potential weaknesses uh, of this formation. I mean, where do you think Pochettino uh, and potentially Guardiola, who are the, two, uh, the, the next two big league games coming up after Middlesbrough, where do you think the weakness is that they should be aiming to, to attack at Chelsea? I think it's drawing them out, really. Do I think that you've got to try and, in a way, you've got to play on the counter-attack against this Chelsea team because that's what they try and do to you. But also in terms of the first goal, because Chelsea have done so well at grabbing that first goal in recent weeks, they can go and sit back into this shape. So I think if you can block off, if you can starve Chelsea the ball in that first 15 minutes, that'll test them out. You know, Pep Guardiola goes and he holds the ball for 15 minutes. Then Chelsea have a little bit of a problem. Then they have to come out and play. And that's where you can try and catch them. Because I think that's they've been so, they've been so solid defensively but it's because they've had that lead and because they've been able to counter-attack so I think it's the, it's the first goal is so crucial if you can nick that first goal then you play on the break against Chelsea you know that that's definitely the recipe to go but it's got to be slow you've got to be so safe on the ball you've got to like you know you've got to play out the pressure that Azar, Pedro and, and Costa are going to play on you you've got to watch for Matic and Kante hunting the ball it's a difficult thing potentially there's space in front of that back three if Conte and Matic press you you can play a direct ball after, over those two into the 10 into the ten space maybe to a striker or to, to a number 10 that potentially could be a place when you, you've, you've turned them you're in behind the midfield and you're at that back three but it, it just looks so good at the moment it looks really good really impressed with Conte at the moment so tactically perfect mm. Chelsea just a point behind the league leaders Liverpool then after that 5-0 thrashing of Everton all the way at the other end of the table Sunderland beating Bournemouth 2-1 away from home. David Moyes finally getting his first win of the season at the Black Cats. Somehow doing it while away at Bournemouth, Chris, and with 10 men, is surely all down to Moyes' incredible motivational skills. He wasn't there, was he? <laughs> Let's all sit in a dark room. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> did, did you see what he did midweek? 
with the with the squad. Talk to us. Explain to us, Chris. It took them so. In the shadow of Sunland is a large Nissan car factory. Oh God, yeah. And my dad actually worked there for a period as an electrical technician about twelve years. And midweek, Moyes took them to the factory, not to show them togetherness and what can be achieved if if we all pull together. He took them there to show them what their lives could be like if they weren't footballers. Now, a bit like a ghost of Christmas past sort of thing. I do kind of see the intention. But then, you know, as, as I was talking to my dad about it, I, I said to him, you know, like, realistically, that must have been horrible for the factory workers to be, like, gawked at by these footballers and look how terrible your life could be. And he said, yeah, but I imagine they turned around and said, see, look how terrible your life could be. You could play for Sunderland. So it's <laughs> it's it's a bizarre thing to do. Um, I think what you can say about the game itself is that Victor Anishibi, for all his social media uh, foibles, was brilliant. For, from what I could see, he was strong. Uh, he was energetic. He really kind of gave them a lot of link up in the the lines. I think he was playing with a cracked rib for a good portion of the game as well. Yes. He was a, a brilliant player. And, and honestly, I, when they signed him, I, I said at the time that I was kind of surprised he hadn't been able to find a club prior to that because, yeah, he wasn't a great goal scorer at any point, but he was always a nuisance. He was always someone that could be a figurehead for attack or someone to just keep the ball in the final third. Um, I think it's a start for Sunderland. The the playing two in in midfield definitely helps. Um, or oh, two up front, excuse me, really helps them. I think you could also forge a decent argument to say that they rode their luck a little bit. And but for Jordan Pickford pulling off a a sensational save, they could have potentially even ended up drawing or losing the game. So I'm loath to give them too much criticism because I think it was a very good performance overall, even better with the fact that they had 10 men for a good portion of it. Um, I think as he said himself, though, Moyes, he's not looking to get carried away with it. Hmm. Yeah, I did also. I do also love the idea of David Moyes uh, covering himself in flour and then coming in through the uh, footballers' bedroom windows at night and being like, when the clock strikes 12... <laughs> And they're all like, oh no, where are you taking me? And he's like, a dark place. The Nissan factory. Moisey and Moisey. It's, it's such a weird one because it could be, I mean, what do you make of it, uh, Lawrence? It, it does feel almost a bit David Brent-esque, but, you know, as Chris is sort of saying, it does have the air of going, oh look, could be worse, lads, you could be working here. But at the same time, Moyes came out and said, you know, he wanted the players to, to know where the supports come from, where they work, how they work, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, but he did also say in a post-match uh, match of the day interview, uh, they did all see what they could have been doing. Um, yeah, when you put it so, like that, it doesn't really help. Does yeah, I mean, when he literally nails it on the head, as uh, uh, as David Brent would have. You know, and I imagine he sort of did that in front of them as well. Look at this, guys. Look how shit everything could have been. No offence. Look how shit everything could have been. Still come along on Saturday. That's the kind of popularism that really pisses off football fans as well. And I yeah. can completely see why, because it's it's if we assume that for a second he's not taking them there to show them how fortunate they are to be footballers or that you know how life could have been, then then there is that part of like oh you know the, these are the people that you play for. Why do you have to go to the Nissan factory to do that? Like the to, for starters, it's it's not a universally Sunderland supporting uh, establishment. No. Probably some, think, probably some J League fans in there. Yes, it's huge uh, in Penshaw, which is be a very niche joke for um, <laughs> people. But 
But I think honestly, I'd have more. I have more support for the idea if he held something like a fans forum. If he had, if he did something like he brought the players in and opened a dialogue with supporters and yeah, if he did something genuine, bandies and things a, like that. Now, that everyone gather around. How shit are we? <laughs> That feels far more genuine, though, than taking yes. them to, like, what's next? You're just going to hang around in the bridges for two hours and just see who comes up to talk to you and remind them that, oh, this is how you could be spending your Saturday buying stuff in HMV. It, it, it feels just like a token gesture, doesn't it? Massively. It just feels like a token gesture and a bit of a stupid thing to do. And, like, he's trying to be smarter than he is. It, I mean, that is a bit of an issue because, actually, you know, David Moyes does come across as quite a genuine guy. To me, at least. I mean, yeah, and I know that there are going to be some people who are cynical of managers. And he does get a bit of a hard time in the press. But then it is the execution of that move. And also maybe the idea that he didn't necessarily think of it. Um, that, that sort of makes me a little bit more cynical of the idea. I just feel, and I just, I also just sort of think uh, it sort of stinks of a manager who doesn't quite know how to connect to the players. So he just sort of comes up with a generic activity that they can do. Do you know what I mean? So it sort of is a bit like, oh, you guys must like cars. Let's go and see where cars are built, you know? Mm. Have you got any of that GZ on your iPod? <laughs> GZ. Um, as for Bournemouth. It worked. Um, 99 problems I can relate <laughs> as for Bournemouth 99 there, problems he's got less than me Bournemouth are without a winning free themselves now um, that's back to back defeats for them um, so a slight disappointing run for them Dave um, where do you think it's sort of gone wrong recently for, for Eddie Howe's team I think it's quite an interesting one obviously the 6-1 was completely out of the form guy but I did you know, I expect them to struggle they haven't really strengthened their side Jack Wilshere's been a decent enough signing but he's not contributed as much as you would have liked him to contribute in terms of their, the, the whole side tactically. I just feel like they they haven't really improved at all from last season, and, and we're kind of seeing that now. You know, what eleven games in, and we're seeing that you know Junior Salasas is their top scorer with three goals. They're not really improved in that department. Adam Smith's registered most of it again. There's no there's no real improvement of this side. It just feels exactly the same as last yeah. season, and they haven't moved on at all. Let's move on then to West Ham one, Stoke one. Um... Let's start with Stoke form because they're on a great run of form. Um, after winning just one point in their first five games, now unbeaten in six. Um, this draw coming at the end of a run of three straight wins. Can we get some credit for Mark Hughes, please? Who wants to wax lyrical about Sparky? No takers? Nope. <laughs> so West Ham are right, aren't they? <laughs> Mark, Mark Hughes is an interesting one. It seems like he always battles on the verge of being relegated and then he'll go on the run of like six or seven or eight games where Stoke will absolutely blow people away and then again it'll drop back to this sort of um, mediocrity or something like that but I suppose he's getting the best out of the players he's got and some of them are a little bit inconsistent again Bojan scored the winner we haven't seen him for half a year he's been I don't know twiddling his thumbs or something I think that's some of the you know some of these Stoke players the consistency has been their problem for their, their whole careers like Anatovic like Shakiri where they, they can explode. They can explode for a run of five games and then they'll drop off again. And we're, I think we're seeing that at the moment. So he's getting the play at the moment, but then, you know, look down the line, it could be all over again for them. Mm. Okay, let's talk about West Ham then. Um, you know, at the London Stadium again, for all the talk of issues adjusting, um, do you think they're now settling in, Lawrence, now unbeaten in the last four at home? Um, although it's like disappointing to, to drop points uh, too late goal to Sunderland. Um, it's a creditable result, or do you think maybe they're going to see that as a missed chance with games against Spurs, United, Arsenal and Liverpool all coming up next? 
yeah, I, I do think that ultimately uh, it's going to come down to the, the few points that they probably dropped come the end of the season. Um, it's probably quite a cynical view. I think West Ham fans are probably a little bit more uh, positive about the way that the club's going than anyone else on the outside of it. I think only West Ham fans really know what's going on on the pitch um, in terms of uh, what's going on off the pitch. I'm not sure they quite know what's going on on the pitch because having spoken to a few of them, I think some of them are maybe disillusioned with the way that the squad's been built uh, and then also maybe just pinning hopes on one or two players and it strikes me as a slightly sort of desperate move. I just think West Ham did a few too many notches uh, you know, despite a successful stadium, the most successful stadium transition in history, um, they, they've just done it trying to do a few many, too, too many notches at once. And it strikes you a little bit as someone who's sort of reached a bit too far too quickly. They would have been much better to consolidate rather than um, try to reach even further very suddenly. Mm. Uh, another one all draws between Manchester City and Middlesbrough at the Etihad Stadium. Manchester City essentially throwing away three points at home uh, with Martin Duren scoring an injury time winner. It has to be said, Dave, City were sloppy in the second half and it's disappointing coming off the back of such a big win over Barcelona in midweek. You know, again, you could potentially look at tiredness, potentially, you know, they, they did put all their effort midweek because they were absolutely fantastic midweek. Maybe they, they used all their energy sitting deep and counter-attacking um, against Barcelona. They, they should have, you know, they should have scored more. 25 shots and only scoring one goal isn't the best. You know, they did hit the hit the top of the, the woodwork slash post, but it just wasn't good enough for Manchester City. They need to be, uh, you know, dominating games a little bit more and, and taking that domination and converting that into goals, obviously, because they, they have been caught out you know, the last three the last four Premier League games, they've they've picked up three one-one draws. I still think that they'll go on to win the Premier League title, but this is just a, you know a slight point of of dealing with mm. competition in Europe that's at a higher level, and then moving back to playing Middlesbrough, who defensively have been set out very very well this season. Always been impressed when I've seen Middlesbrough. Yeah. Have to be impressed by their determination as well to, to, to get that point. They're now unbeaten free. But as for City Lawrence, they're now, of course, been overtaken at the top. You know, um, those sort of 10 wins in a row at the start of the season seem like a long time ago. Uh, they are only two points short of Liverpool, but they look long short of the, the, the fluency and the potency uh, of the Reds, of Chelsea as well. And as Dave says, a lot of 1 1 draws in there. I mean, it's hardly a full blown crisis, but it's frustrating for them to drop points that they shouldn't be. Yes, certainly so. Uh, I think, you know, again, uh, Pep Guardiola will probably be very aware of that. Um, but when I say probably, he is very aware of that. Um, I also think it comes down to the fact that the same as in the Zlatan situation, he'll be conscious of chances created uh, and the fact that his team has put him in some good positions. Um, I think, you know, he identified that in quite a few of his post-match interviews. Um, so it'll be interesting to see whether they switch things up too much or whether they just continue along roughly the same route. Um, and, and I think they probably will go down a very similar route, to be honest. Finally, let's end on Burnley 3 Palace to a roller coaster game, but it's now four straight defeats for Alan Pardew, obviously feeling the pressure. Um, Palace somewhat unlucky potentially, but it's never Pardew's fault, is it, Chris? No, he, he blamed... Uh, silly mistakes for the goals they conceded and said that they overcommitted on a set play to concede the final one. I think watching the set play back, I think he, he's right to a degree. I'm not sure if they overcommitted as much as they were far too slow defending the counter-attack. So they've got their three midfielders lined 
up about 10-15 yards outside of the penalty box and Burnley just play it all through all three of them with one pass and that's a little bit concerning so I don't know if it's overcommitted as much as the way it was set up um, so yeah o- overall they showed some flickers of what they can do Townsend's hit, hit the post they did miss some good chances defensively I still think they're a bit of a liability they were against Liverpool as well and I think that's what he needs to solve I don't, I don't think necessarily the attacking issues are, are there for, for Palace personally I, I think the issue remains the defence and that for some reason he can't seem to find a balance between a side that attacks with vigour and energy and one that also defends well at the same time Yeah, 16 games without a clean sheet for Palace so as you say uh, the defence the obvious problem uh, a big win for Burnley though though up to ninth in the table um, <laughs> <laughs> They're up to ninth in the table uh, with 14 points. Um, three games on beat. Two, two of them. <laughs> True statement. Three games on beat. Two wins in the last three games for Burnley. A massive result. And they look much better equipped uh, to deal with the rigours of the Premier League than they did in their last stint in the top flight. Um, Gareth Southgate, of course, in attendance at this game uh, for Burnley 3, Palace 2, which brings us nicely on to previewing the international break. Um, the England squad has just been announced this evening. Um, the big story, has to be said, is Jack Wilshere. Once again, a controversial inclusion. Uh, Deli Alley's injury, which he picked up this weekend, uh, may have cleared the way for Jack Wilshere to make the team Chris, but the selection has many people suggesting once again uh, England players are picked on history rather than form. I mean, for you, do you think his war- performances warrant an inclusion this time? I've, I've not seen anything stand out really. He's missed a few chances, I know that. Um, no, he's, 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 had some, he's had some moments, he's had those flashes, hasn't he? Yeah, he's had the feeling that it's also but he's so brave, the, Chris. Maybe he's he is Jack Wilshire's so brave going to Bournemouth. Yeah, I saw John Cross playing that. I, I don't think he's brave at all. I think he did what he had to do to save his career. Because if he was gonna, he wasn't gonna play at Arsenal. Um, no, I think th- he should have gone a bit outside his comfort zone instead of going yeah. to play one of his pals in Benicophobia, going to someone like Roma and learn under Spalletti would have been a clever thing. I would have. That would have I don't know if it would have been clever. It would have been brave to, to it push been more, Yeah, it would have been more brave. Like your heart is so brave. brave. I mean, again, the, the word brave has been given really strong emotional connotations there. But in terms of risk, then, that would be a risk to go to a country you've never been to before where you don't speak the language where Ravel Morrison just went and is tanked. So you know that there's not a huge wealth of success in to the play, modern era. Just to play devil's advocate for a second, do you, do you think... I mean, it's, it's great to say he, he should have gone to Roma, should have played under Spalletti. We don't know if that option was there. Surely, surely only Jack Wilshere could take the options presented to him which we're assuming Eddie Howe being a fan of Jack Wilshere, that was the option. Um, I don't necessarily think it's brave to go there, but to to criticise him for not taking a choice that perhaps wasn't open to him seems a little... No, I just unfair. think it being hailed as brave is a little bit misleading, because it's really oh, not. No, I agree it's, with that. It's, it's a very, it was a very common sense, or it was a very risk-averse move, if anything. In the it, sense, it, though, that you do only live once. Uh, I mean, there is there are elements of risk about it, which ultimately allude to bravery i mean you know it's it's not brave in the sense that a multimillionaire is moving somewhere um or a multimillionaire who seems to have uh, sort of squandered that in the years gone by um but then yeah i think chris is right it sort of did force his hand um do you think dave though uh, i know we're talking about the the these sort of hypotheticals about where he could have couldn't gone whether it's brave or not which i think we can safely say it isn't but in terms of those performances um do you think he deserves to be in the england squad anymore 
I don't think so. No, I think you know. I just think that maybe Jack Wilshere needs to not be in the England squad and focus on playing his football again. Again, it's just <laughs> a distraction. It's a distraction away from what he should be doing. That's again focusing on league football because he's obviously not at the level he was. And he obviously needs to find the, the form and, and regain that. You know, he's not exactly let, you know lighting the world on fire at Bournemouth. It's one of those things where it's just a bit of an odd inclusion. It's a very Gareth Southgate thing to do. Although I don't, I don't quite know. Uh, I mean, I could complain the paint and the opposite picture maybe if you want I don't quite know the circumstances under which he left Arsenal um we don't know if he was told you know you're not gonna be in the plans and therefore you have to look somewhere else we also don't know I mean I haven't looked into and maybe it's worth looking into what he has done at Bournemouth um in terms of fitting into the system and how effective is he is there I think maybe certain people in the England setup also have faith on in him as a footballer and maybe see him as a better footballer maybe use it will use him in a different way to the way that Bournemouth use him uh, deploy him in the way that he has been deployed for England when he got those man of the match performances uh, having said that yeah, you probably st- you, you know the sentiment still goes somewhat towards what Dave and Chris were saying which is a bit more meh you know mm. it's Jack Wilshire. He's, he's it feels like he's squandered it it feels so stereotypically so stereotypically recently English that you just sort of think well you've you've had the opportunity you know but then do you want to be that damning uh, really Southgate himself said Jack Wilshire is a player who we feel has a lot of class it's good for him to get some 90 minutes under his belt again and we felt the time was right to put him back in um, he'd also explain more um, at a press conference on Monday morning um, he's also going to talk about why Chris Morning and Luke Shaw were absent um, looks like injuries uh, they sort of pulled out the squad before the Swansea game um, Michael Keane's in there as well um, because of the absence of Chris Morning you'd assume um, and Carl Walker's there at the moment but he sort of looked like he picked up an injury uh, in the North London derby, so he may not be there for very long. But an interesting squad, and we'll see how they get on against Scotland first, which I believe is on Friday night, the, the World Cup qualifier. Uh, and then they also have a friendly Ooh. against Spain coming up. But we're going to talk more about that next week and next weekend before is, those games, of course. That's not in Scotland, is it? Um, no, it's, it's at Wembley. Leave us at Wembley, yes. Yeah. Um, wow. So, we so come into our stomping ground, the little slugs. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I remember I went to see the last England Scotland game when Ricky balls. Lambert scored the winner. Um, seems like a long time ago. Um, that wasn't that long ago, though. Was I that... know, but it seems like a lifetime ago. When that was Ricky a good Lambert game, was in the England squad. It was. God, it was yeah, great. that really was. That Was that when he... Yeah, that was, those were the days, oh. weren't they? He used to work um, in an onion factory or pickle factory or something. Somewhere. Yeah, hey, great guy. Uh, anyway, they It is also. I also find it weird how uh, in one one video we can sort of say, uh, or one any bit of coverage we say, yeah, they're coming to our home. Uh, you know, it's, it's the best place to play. We can intimidate them there. Um, and then the next thing we watch Spurs play there in the Champions League, and it's like, yeah, this isn't our home. We can't intimidate anyone here. Um, I just had a brainwave when you mentioned Ricky Lambert there. And David Moyes taking a tour of a factory. <laughs> Very good point. What, do you think he was scouting for players? Is that what you're saying? Potentially. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he was also going around <clears throat> with Anna Chaby going, see that strong guy over there? Yeah, he could replace you. Just throwing him a ball and seeing what they do. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's actually really dangerous in the workplace. <laughs> uh, we will be back on Wednesday. Then. You were definitely going to do an office joke there, weren't you? Yeah, well, I literally just have deployed two. Oh, office jokes. Safe or unsafe.
Um, anyway, we'll be back on Wednesday um, to discuss and preview the international break as well as do a bumper Q and A podcast because um, you know the international break it isn't that fun for anyone. Um, so do tune in sure. then to get your questions in. Could be anything and anything. Get at us on Twitter at the front three. Get your questions in there. But until then, where can the whole? Where can the listeners find you, Lawrence? YouTube this week we're editing lots of videos for videos. you guys down on uh, YouTube there'll be a video with Jimmy Conrad an exclusive video with Jimmy Conrad coming up later this week uh, Dave and I will be vlogging the shit out of football um, <laughs> that's actually what we should call the the strand of vlogging <laughs> the shit out of football uh, and if you haven't already seen our other vlog go and see it there sure mm. the graphics are wrong but the content is good mm. <laughs> yeah I'd love to and vlog. it floats in the air. Let's put, if, 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 there's no one else on YouTube who makes shit float on the air. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I don't um, know. I'd um, I'd love to vlog the shit out of football. You know, yeah, Adam. Do you, do you want to? Anyway, Dave, uh, where can where can the good people find you this week, Dave? Well, also on the From Free YouTube channel, I think you should go and check out. And there's going to be a, a tactics video on oh. something. Dave, will it just be on you the... and I? Probably. Yeah, uh, and Chris. Where can the whole find you? BBC Radio 2. <laughs> Good. Wow. Well, this is fun. Anyway, guys, follow me on Twitter at Adam Boltwood. But thank you so much for listening. <laughs> we will talk to you again on Wednesday. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 